Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to uh, another edition of the Construction Litigation Webinar Series. Uh, today we'll be discussing uh, further issues in uh, coordinating multi-jurisdictional defenses uh, where you have a workers' compensation claim and at the same time, simultaneously, you're defending a general liability claim. Now, just by way of introduction, I am not Tashia Rasool. I am Noah Pollack. I work with Tashia on uh, the construction practice team at Lois Law Firm, where I am a partner. I've been here about five years. And uh, we deal almost exclusively with construction injury claims. And um, because of that, they almost uh, always include a, a general liability lawsuit component. So these are issues we've been discussing that come up when you're defending both claims, uh, things you have to be aware of, uh, specific tactics and strategies to use. So today, again, uh, we're going forward with legal issues in coordinating multi-jurisdictional defenses. And today, specifically, we are discussing privileges, disclosure, and estoppel. Just a reminder, it is a live presentation. You are welcome to ask questions on whatever uh, issues arise, whatever you're thinking of, to send them in, and hopefully I'll be able to get to them at the end of the, uh, the session. So again, privileges, disclosures, and collateral estoppel. Three issues. Again, generally we're thinking uh, regarding privileges and disclosures when we're coordinating the workers' compensation claim with the uh, general liability claim. Uh, we're talking a lot um, with the general liability uh, defense counsel. So you have comp counsel and general liability defense counsel talking a lot uh, exchanging information, exchanging documents. You always have to be cognizant if, of when you're exchanging information and documents, what might be subject to uh, disclosures uh, on either side, whether on the general liability side or the comp side, and what information is privileged and will remain protected from uh, disclosing to uh, the uh, adversary or opposing counsel. Uh, so privileges, we'll go through a few of the uh, central ones. Number one, on anybody's list when talking about privileges in a legal context is attorney-client privilege. Uh, most of us are familiar with that. It protects basically any, uh, uh, any information, anything, documents that were, that have to do with um, providing a legal opinion or assistance in some legal proceeding. Uh, if you're retained, uh, we have, uh, you know, between the attorneys, the attorney's office and, and, and the client, uh, anything that has to do with uh, a legal matter uh, when their advice is sought or they've already been retained and uh, they're providing legal advice that will generally be protected absolutely from any disclosures. Um, something that comes up with uh, attorney-client privileges, uh, usually it's just between, something is protected if it's just between um, parties of uh, privity. You have the client and you have the attorney. Uh, the introduction of third of, of outside parties will sometimes uh, uh, lead to a waiver of the privilege. It will destroy the privilege. Um, and so obviously we're thinking about that when you have workers' compensation defense counsel and you have general liability defense counsel talking with um, often the same, the same client um, who owns or, or runs the, uh, it could be a general contractor, construction developer, um, or project manager, they run, but they, they're subject to, they are the defendant in the 
uh, general liability claim, they're also the one paying on workers' compensation claim. So now you have an additional, you might be thinking you have an additional party when you have defense counsel for the comp claim and defense counsel for general liability claim. So here you have um, a common interest. You can have a common interest privilege, which falls under the framework of attorney-client privilege. So in this case, in this case, if you have different parties, um, basically lawyers from different firms, one defending the comp, one defending the general liability claim, if they're collaborating uh, with the same client and there's the same shared or common interest, then it will be protected by uh, attorney-client privilege. Um, the second most common uh, privilege uh, that arises in a legal context, there's no difference, is uh, attorney or work product privilege. So any material uh, basically created by the attorney for purposes of litigation, uh, whether it's ongoing litigation or in, in anticipation of litigation or legal actions or proceedings, it involves research analysis, conclusions, legal theory, or strategy. That is going to be protected from disclosures. Um, so you, you're thinking anytime an attorney adds something, it's not just a simple fact or a, a list uh, notices. It's when the attorney is uh, taking an extra step and evaluating certain information and then producing something, uh, in that regard, it will be protected by um, the attorney work product privilege. Uh, there are other uh, uh, privileges that would arise um, in the comm context and uh, general liability claims, sometimes with surveillance materials that are obtained by a workers' compensation carrier. Those are often um, very much sought after by um, plaintiff's counsel on the general liability claim. But in the workers' compensation context, um, that's not disclosed until after the claimant has testified, the plaintiff slash claimant has testified. Whereas in a general liability claim, that is disclosed prior to uh, the deposition of the claimant plaintiff. So you'll have general liability of plaintiff's counsel going after it. However, the workers' compensation board is not subject to um, that disclosure. They don't have, it ha does not have to be uh, turned over. Of course, if fraud is litigated or the surveillance is disclosed already on the comp claim, well, then the claimant slash plaintiff already has it and it's unlikely to be um, an issue. But again, if the surveillance has not been disclosed yet on the workers' compensation claim, and again, it will not be disclosed until after the claimant has testified. Um, generally, this comes up in a, in a fraud context where fraud will be raised and it's disclosed that there is uh, a covert surveillance. Despite the disclosure that there is covert surveillance, it will not be directed to be produced by the board or the law judge until after the claimant has testified. And despite the fact that it, its existence has been disclosed on the workers' compensation claim, uh, general liability counsel does not have it and they will not have to uh, disclose it. So just a brief overview of documents that arise in workers' compensation context or otherwise general liability claim. Will they be protected by any of these privileges, whether it's um, attorney-client privilege, work product, privilege, or else uh, have a qualified privilege. So you have Freud's and Troy's reports of injury. When you're talking about reports of injury um, or accident reports, um, something to think about is really whether 
uh, it's an accident report versus an investigation report. Is it done in the regular course of business? Is there just a protocol in place where you take down information if an accident or injury occurs? Or is there something more to it? Is it for purposes of expected litigation? The more it's for purposes of expected litigation or the more something, even a, an aspect or component of uh, an accident report is for the purposes of uh, anticipated litigation, the more likely it is to be protected. Now, uh, just because these documents are, are not going to be protected, obviously they're not uh, usually going to be handed over um, willy-nilly. Um, they're usually, there'll be a, a request or, or, or release that's obtained before it's done. Although a lot of the documents in workers' compensation are just um, produced, submitted to the workers' compensation uh, board file, and they're in e-case, and all the parties to the case, including the claimant and his uh, workers' compensation counsel, have access to that. So you have Freud, the Troy and OSHA investigation, Social Security earnings, Social Security disability claims, they're not going to be protected, and there's different methods for uh, securing them. Union records, um, unions are not going to give up the records without a subpoena, so you get a subpoena and they'll produce them. Um, in workers' compensation claims, they matter a lot more in OD claims. Uh, contracts and work descriptions, if you want to get an idea of what the claimant was doing, uh, what the employer subcontractor was contracted for, that's um, not going to be protected. Now, internal accident um, investigation uh, will uh, not generally be protected, the accident reports, but again, there are components or maybe enhanced accident reports that involve an investigation, and that will often be uh, protected from uh, disclosure. And then medical records, um, medical records uh, will, will usually require um, a HIPAA release. Now, for the workers' compensation carrier, we'll get to it. Usually, uh, HIPAA rules, they're exempted from them, but in practice, uh, medical providers are not just going to be handing over uh, medical records and you usually um, obtain an executed HIPAA to get them. Um, I mentioned before there might be investigative components to uh, accident reports, maybe a, a CIB report, uh, an ISO claim search. Uh, that uh, might be protected uh, on-site investigation um, involving um, um, anal preliminary analysis of uh, potential exposure, liability, um, what uh, labor laws might, might be implicated, could be protected. And then we already spoke about uh, surveillance, uh, where in uh, the workers' compensation context, uh, it's not disclosed until after the claimant testifies and um, um, Plaintiff's counsel will not be able to get that uh, from workers' compensation carrier. And just in general liability claims, uh, the covert surveillance, they have it is revealed prior. That has to be disclosed and given over prior to uh, the claimant's testimony there. Uh, there are social media investigations that are often done now. Uh, they become much more important uh, in both the workers' compensation and general liability context for obvious reasons. Uh, especially with a lot of younger uh, plaintiff claimants that are active and clearly uh, misrepresenting uh, their injuries, uh, information regarding their lawsuit, what they've been doing. And so those have become important as far as investigation into either the comp or the general liability claim. And again, just like with surveillance in uh, workers' compensation, it's only uh, given over uh, after uh, the claimant has testified, if, if for instance, fraud has been raised, uh, whether the claimant's been engaged in work activity or misrepresenting his uh, functional capabilities or his level of disability to doctors, whether IMEs or his own, 
and we have a social media investigation supporting that, it will only be turned over after the claimant has testified, uh, whereas in the general liability in the lawsuit, it's all given over prior to um, the claim testimony. So like I, I mentioned in the beginning, often there's a lot of communication in this context between uh, counsel, uh, defense counsel on the general liability claimant and workers' compensation defense counsel. And often surveillance, investigation, social media materials, they'll be discussed. It's very important. It's very important that the workers' compensation defense counsel and general liability defense counsel are cognizant of no, and aware that there's a limit to what should be disclosed in that communication, that really workers' compensation defense counsel should not be um, explicit, should not be um, telling uh, um, defense counsel on the general liability claim that we have this surveillance and here's details about the surveillance and we have this video and just providing all that information because that might lead to a disclosure problem if the general liability counsel has um, this kind of information, specific information regarding video co covert surveillance footage or what's been turned up in social media investigation, then all of a sudden there might be a problem with plaintiff's counsel being able to get that, that general liability counsel might have to disclose it. So you, you wanna um, make sure that you're not giving over too much information to um, the uh, general liability defense counsel that, that you're aware and they're aware that you know what, there's gonna be a limit and you may disclose that there's an ongoing investigation or surveillance, but to get into specifics is uh, usually you should not do that just because you don't want to run into any problems again with disclosure or having to disclose it before uh, you really want to, before you can take full uh, tactical or strategic advantage of it. Uh, there are other um, items that they're rare in the workers' compensation context, forensic experts or environmental studies. Um, sometimes that comes up with you know respiratory claims or or mold or or lung lung issues. What was the air quality like? What was their dust exposure? So they have some environmental studies. It's um, and in the workers' compensation context, there's really no um, method uh, to force it to be divulged. So clearly, if it if it's a benefit to um, defense of the claim, it's probably going to be uh, submitted to the workers' compensation file to support our positions whether disallowing a claim or, or, or minimizing or mitigating exposure. Now getting back to uh, medical information, um, generally protected health and health information is not going to be disclosed without uh, a HIPAA release. Um, there are there are exceptions. There are exceptions uh, to when a release is actually required. Um, and Generally, the workers' compensation carrier falls under one of the uh, exemptions if uh, medical information is needed to um, prosecute or litigate or has anything to do with the workers' compensation claim, defense, or otherwise, then it won't fall under um, the requirement for uh, for a HIPAA. I mean, there's other there's other uh, exemptions. Obviously, if there's state state law or other laws that require it, or if uh, you know medical providers want to be paid. That's to do with that. Certainly, it can be released. That has to do with protecting, you know, basically uh, everything having to do with the uh, medical care of uh, plaintiff claimants are protected. Now, workers' compensation records, uh, medical records. The claimant will have to produce the medical records if he wants to pursue a claim. So they'll usually produce to uh, the board file and anyone who's a party of interest on the claim. You know, employees of the board and the claimant, claimants' counsel, the carrier. The third party administrator uh, and workers' compensation defense have access to 
have access to those uh, medical records. Uh, now, otherwise, otherwise, uh, you know, you, you would need a, a, a HIPAA release, uh, which is basically the, uh, 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 excuse me, just regarding the workers' compensation claim file, generally, which goes beyond medical records. There's medical records, but then there's other uh, documents in there. Um, if the claimant uh, uh, executes an OC, what's called an OC-110A, uh, that's that's going to allow um, you know an outside party to have access to uh, the workers' compensation file. Uh, a good advice is um, to have general liability defense. They'll get an executed OC-110A, and that will allow them once they get it executed, it's it's signed by by the uh, claimant plaintiff. That will allow them access to the entire. Uh, workers' compensation file, which could be sent over to them. And that includes medical records. They'll usually get an OC-110A, you want to uh, protectively, they'll have an OC-110A and a HIPAA release, uh, and they'll, they'll have that executed, and that will allow them, that will, the adjuster on workers' compensation claim could then, um, you know, send over a workers' compensation file to them. Um, before they have that, though, sometimes as you're talking about you're giving a general liability defense counsel an update on the comm claim, synopsis of what's going on medically, um, and they'll want to look at the medical records, but you, you, you don't want to, you, you shouldn't turn them over until they have the OC-110A or the, the, if they don't have that, the HIPAA release for the specific uh, medical records. Um, regarding actual discovery in a workers' compensation claim, it's really non-existent. Uh, usually, uh, claimants, claimants' attorneys are not requesting certain documents. Almost everything they need is in um, the board file. And because almost everything is in the board file, and because there's a PH 16.2 requirement, essentially, uh, PH 16.2, when, when issues are litigated, um, most often this is in a, when a claim is denied, the carrier has to uh, complete a PH 16.2 for a pre hearing conference statement where they have to specify the issues being litigated and what evidence they are relying on, including witnesses or other documents, what are being, and, and the defenses they're, they're raising that are being relied on controverting the claim, and that they're, they have to produce those. Um, they have to disclose them, and then they're going to have to produce them. Um, and so there usually that obviates a need for claimants' attorneys to uh, file discovery requests. There are some times when, when it comes up when you're litigating a claim or, or you have witnesses and um, they'll mention um, accident reports or some kind of document that's not in the board file and in that case they'll probably make a request or even the law judge if it's brought up in in litigation and it seems material to the case the law judge will make that direction for the employer or carrier to um, submit that. There are other devices that uh, an employer or carrier uses um, Obviously, release for you know medical records. Usually, they're exempt, but they'll get it. But uh, submission to an IME, they have the right under workers' compensation law to set up an IME and have the claimant go and get examined. Um, just be careful with those uh, when they're being set up. Communications um, between um, defense counsel or carrier employers and the doctors or the IME vendors are very. Uh, there's strict regulations there. Um, uh, to make sure that uh, you don't, there's no Section 13 violation involved. Uh, keep it simple and straightforward. Just what's what's factual, what you're asking the doctor, and what's in the medical record. Um, there is there is statutorily the claimant um, can be um, you can request, and the claimant 
uh, could be forced to submit a fully completed C3. Uh, law judges will often uh, ignore that, and the vast majority of cases the claimants have filed a C3. Uh, but that is something that a carrier could demand of the claimant, fully executed C3 with all the information provided. And then you have cross-examination of um, claimants' doctors. You have the right to cross-examine them sometimes. An issue will be joined. There's going to be contrary medical evidence. But even aside from that, uh, generally, the carrier has a, a right to cross-examine the claimant's uh, treating doctors. On uh, the last uh, issue I wanted to discuss was collateral estoppel. Now, anyone following um, changes in uh, leg legislation uh, between workers' compensation and general liability multi-jurisdictional uh, legislation, there was a big change last year that affected collateral estoppel. <clears throat> now, generally, collateral estoppel means that if you've litigated uh, an issue, you've had a, a full and fair opportunity to litigate something on the merits, and there was a finding, a formal finding, then and I, if you want to litigate the identical issue, uh, you'd be stopped. You wouldn't be uh, allowed to do that. You'd be precluded. So in the workers' compensation context, it would arise where you would secure a finding, a formal finding in the workers' compensation claim that could be uh, as far as whether the claimant was an employee, his work status, disability, um, whether certain body parts are causally related to the claim or whether surgeries or medical treatment was causally related to the claim. And you would litigate that. You would depose doctors, take claim testimony, employer witness testimony. You get a decision from the judge uh, and or uh, the board panel <clears throat> deciding that. Now, you could get a very favorable finding, uh, for instance, that the claimant did not injure uh, a body part in this accident. And that could often be used uh, on the general liability side to stop uh, the claimant or plaintiff from raising that site or uh, damages related to that site uh, on his, uh, in his lawsuit. However, and so it would become a, a very uh, advantageous tool uh, in using the workers' compensation claim and uh, findings secured um, there uh, to mitigating exposure on the general liability claim. However, that was uh, for the most part gutted, the collateral estoppel, um, where it's now, it's now limited to employer-employee relationship. Now that does, that could help in the general liability context if you get a finding that the claim was not employed, wasn't properly on site, he's not, he didn't work for this subcontractor, this general contractor. So that could certainly um, be advantageous or beneficial uh, in fighting liability on uh, the lawsuit but they did gut um, everything else from uh, collateral estoppel. Now that doesn't change anything uh, as far as, as, far as um, litigating a workers' compensation claim, uh, because again, we're still litigating to get to secure favorable findings, um, create jeopardy in claimants' cases, um, and mitigate exposure. Um, and you're still collaborating uh, using the workers' compensation uh, findings and, and letting general liability defense, no. It doesn't mean there's no value. Just because there's no um, collateral estoppel and the claimant can't be precluded from raising certain issues, uh, doesn't mean that the favorable workers' compensation findings are not also beneficial on uh, the workers' compensation, uh, the general liability claim, uh, the action. Um, it's just that general liability counsel will have to leverage it in different ways, not through collateral estoppel, but they'd have to leverage it in different ways to uh, mitigate exposure on their end uh, and get a more favorable settlement. Obviously, if on the workers' compensation context, we litigate fraud and 
uh, I mean, which, which doesn't have a collateral estoppel uh, component to it, but we litigate fraud, they're using that on the general liability claim. You know, you have a claimant here who, who's been found to uh, be engaging in fraud and is uh, discredited um, on certain issues. Um, that's certainly going to be utilized in the general liability claim. It's going to impact um, exposure there. And similarly, if, you, if you're able to secure findings that, you know, this surgery is unrelated or this body part was not part of the workers' compensation claim, and you have testimony from multiple parties, including the claimant, employer witnesses, doctors, whether they're IMEs or claimants treating doctors, and if you have that and you've developed the record, that's certainly going to be utilized um, to help on the uh, general liability claim, even, even in the absence of, even in the absence of uh, having a collateral estoppel. So again, that was a brief overview of privileges, disclosures, and estoppel when you are coordinating multi-jurisdictional uh, defenses. Um, the next uh, edition of the uh, Complex Claims webinar series, uh, Construction Litigation webinar series, is uh, next month, August 7th, when uh, we'll continue discussing uh, coordinating defenses now using milestones. Now, turning to our questions. It does not appear that anybody um, has any questions. Uh, obviously, if you do, you can always send them over, uh, email um, to Shira Sewell, myself, anybody at Lois uh, with your questions or concerns, and we will happily uh, respond expeditiously um, to allay any concerns you have, provide support, and any answers. Um, so I appreciate you taking the time. Um, I was happy to, to stand in for uh, Tashia and deliver this webinar series. It's enjoyable, and hopefully I will be seeing you uh, in the future for uh, more, more uh, uh, in the webinar series. So thank you, and definitely enjoy um, your July 4th holiday uh, tomorrow. Have fun.